Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Jesus began the parable this morning by addressing it to those who trusted in their own righteousness. That is a condition of the heart that is um, underappreciated as a danger in our day and age. Those who trust in their own righteousness are no longer the sect of the Pharisees or even particularly those who are marked out as being religious, um, at least in affiliation of some recognized religious body. Now, religion is widespread through our culture in regard civil life and social life. And the people who trust in their own righteousness are those who make the most noise and act the most confidently out there in the world about the issues of uh, our day across our media. We've got uh, an epidemic of trusting in our own righteousness these days, and Jesus' words could not be more timely than uh, for us right now. But if any of us this morning hearing uh, that diagnosis of those out there uh, think that we are immune from this, then already we're feeling the exact symptom that I'm talking about, trusting in our own righteousness. Every one of us today uh, know that we ought to be like the publican in the story and not like the Pharisee, right? That's the obvious lesson from from the parable. So we don't need to delve into um, this parable like we do some of Jesus' other parables in order to to uncover the truth from uh, layers of story that that may be a little foreign to us, like, uh, you know, seeds and sowing. How many of us Uh, sow seeds on a regular basis or or know about different kinds of soil. Maybe some of us, not me. I have a thumb about as green as this alb. Um, Surplus. So, point is, um, what Jesus is saying is straightforward and aimed directly at all of our hearts. The question is, how do we know how to be the publican and not the Pharisee? The trouble with the Pharisee is, though it seems obvious to us now, his sin was actually fairly insidious. He missed it. He was unaware of his crucial sin. There was so much that he had done, actually. (laughs) He said it in his boastful prayer. I fast twice a week. I give my tithes to the poor. I do all of the things required by the law. And he had good cause to trust in his own righteousness according to the system that he was going by. But he missed the spirit of the law that he was following in keeping to its letter. In 162 AD, the Maccabean brothers who were rebelling against the Seleucid Greek uh, king and government that was occupying Jerusalem at the time, um, laid siege to a stronghold and and started a battle against the Seleucids. And in 162, the decisive battle of this revolt and uprising ended up crushing 
the brothers and the army that was with them. What happened was they had been waging a, a fairly successful and, and troublesome to the Greeks guerrilla warfare campaign, but they had gathered so much strength and uh, so many numbers that they tried engaging directly in sort of more standardized warfare with the Greeks, and it wasn't going well <laughs> in this battle. And one of the brothers, one of the Maccabean brothers, saw what he believed to be the war elephant. They used to do battle with elephants in the day, FYI. He saw what he believed was the war elephant carrying the Greek king. And in a magnificent effort of bravery, fought his way through a line of troops, spear in hand, and got all the way up to this huge war elephant, atop of which was this uh, structure, well-guarded and armed, and what, what he thought had the, the king's seal on it. And, I mean, this is like taking on a tank head-on in the day. And he runs up to the elephant with a spear, and he dives under it and buries his spear up into the belly of the elephant and kills it. He killed a war elephant all by himself. Unfortunately, the elephant then fell on top of him and crushed him, and he died. More unfortunately is that that wasn't the elephant carrying the king. And uh, the Greek troops continued to advance and eventually crushed the, uh, the Jewish army. He died in vain. He accomplished nothing in the end. Um, but he had a story told about him. St. Gregory the Great, uh, several centuries later, reflecting back on this story, linked it to our parable today in the gospel. There's someone else who had a story, who made it into a story. We're still talking about him to this day, but not in a good way. It was the Pharisee in the story, in the parable, who, like this Maccabean brother, through great skill and effort, did something remarkable. He kept to the letter of the law. He had a lot to be, to, to, you know, he, there was a lot going for him. He had done a lot. Unfortunately, the very thing that he had done, his, the glory, the, the, his effort resulted in his own downfall in that all of the good things that he had done, and these were good things, keeping the fast, tithing, coming to the temple, puffed him up, and pride became his downfall. Jesus ends the parable by saying, everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, but he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. There's another Pharisee that we heard from this morning. His name used to be Saul, but at the time that he wrote the words that we heard, his name had been changed to Paul. He was a Pharisee who also had exalted himself, and Christ humbled him by shining a light from heaven that blinded him and knocking him off of his horse, uh, having to then be led into the next town and schooled by a humble peasant who was a follower of Christ. Paul, Saul, the Pharisee, had been schooled in the best schools, had put tremendous effort into keeping the law, and was even putting tremendous effort and zeal into what he thought uh, was a just persecution of a false sect. 
but he was humbled. And after his humiliation and abasement, Christ lifted him up. How? Not by then rewarding him with, you know, comfort and long life and uh, ease, but by sanctifying him and changing his heart and making him holy. The way he was able to stay holy throughout the rest of his life, the way he ended up becoming the hardest working and most notable of all the apostles, even though he was the last one to be called, like one born untimely, was that Christ kept humbling him throughout the rest of his entire life and career. He was shipwrecked. He was imprisoned. He had a thorn in his flesh. He was often hungry. He was ridiculed and made fun of by the people, the very people whom he evangelized and brought into the church. They, they griped that he wasn't a true apostle. All of this continuing abasement, a life led in humble service to God, elevated this man to be one of the greatest saints in the history of the world. Going back to the story, the two men went up to the temple to pray. We skip over this part and take it for granted, like it's just something you do. But there's something else that has developed in our recent time that's uh, incredibly troubling to me, and then that's that so few people come up to the temple to pray now. The temple is where the publican does warfare with himself. The spiritual battle happens in the temple. The Pharisee missed it, but hope is not lost for him. He didn't go down to his house justified that day, but if he keeps coming to the temple, maybe there's hope. The publican came to the temple, presumably that day for the first time in a while, because he had been living a life that left him able to say nothing but, I'm a sinner, I can't even lift my eyes toward the holy place. The Pharisee and the publican, hopefully both, will see each other in the temple week after week. This holy temple is where we meet God. This is the beginning of the work. Whether day in and day out we live virtuously or day in and day out we completely screw up. Coming to this temple to pray every week is the baseline. It's the, the very beginning rung of the ladder of spiritual divine ascent. This is where we come to meet God. God is in his holy temple. We know where it is. We can plug it into our Google Maps and drive here. We know where to meet God in his holy temple. We know where to see and taste and experience Christ, our God, in the blessed sacrament. What in the world could keep us from coming here? What out there compares to this? Nothing. <laughs> There's nothing out there that beats this. This is where we begin. This is where we encounter Pharisees and publicans and everyone in between. And this is where God's mercy is shown to us. The propers today talk about God's power and glory chiefly revealed through his mercy. When St. Paul wants to talk about how wonderful God is, does he extol him by uh, 
describing the mystical experiences he had caught up to the third heaven and, and you know, all of that? No. He talks about God's mercy. When Paul wants to make an example of God's goodness and who he is, what does he do? He, he, he gives the creed. He recites a creed. What does he say? 1 Corinthians 15, that's where, our, uh, that's where we read from in, in St. Paul's letter today. This is what he said. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. He appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brethren at one time, most of whom are still alive at the time of his writing, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then all the apostles. Then he appeared to me. If Christ does all that, surely we can come to the temple to pray once a week. No, we're not called to be perfect every single day. We're called to work toward perfection. That's an effort, and it takes time, and it's gradual. And we slip and fall, and then we keep going. God does not have, um, he doesn't expect anything of us that we can't do. Sometimes it feels like that, and sometimes that's why we're inspired to avoid the call altogether. God calls me to be perfect. Why should I bother? God doesn't call you to be perfect today. He calls you to be oriented to perfection. Perfection is what he will get you to if you walk with him. Don't forget, we have a limited number of days here, right? We're mortal. But then God will raise us up. And we have days upon days upon days, world without end. We're called to an everlasting path. We're not called to be perfect today or tomorrow. So don't be afraid of that. Just come. Come to church and meet God. Come to the temple to pray. Whether you're a publican or a Pharisee or anywhere in between, the one thing needful is to be oriented to God. Whatever our righteousness is that we might trust in today, it's not enough unless it's aimed at God. Whatever we have built that's good and virtuous like the Pharisee, God can keep and save. And if, if we're here listening to his words, communing with him in the sacrament, and have our hearts open, then those insidious sins he will reveal to us in time through the help of his Holy Spirit, through the help of pastoral counseling, through the help of our friends and neighbors, brothers and sisters here. And we will avoid the elephant falling on us in the end. God willing, we will climb that ladder everlastingly and become closer and closer to the God who loves us, who loves us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, God is one. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.